It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the inspired team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, your host and financial advisor, along with my fellow financial advisors and my favorite bee farmers, Josh Gregory <laughs> and Kevin Corhorn. Yeah, what a That's sweet it. introduction there, uh, <laughs> Mike. I, I'm sure it's giving some people hives. But listen, in today's episode, we're talking about setting the right financial goals and then taking steps to make sure that you're achieving them. And we've received a few questions from, the, from you out there about financial goals. And that is what we want to talk about. So your questions about what you should be focused on in your financial life, how to set goals, goal setting, goal achievement, especially when it comes to your financial life, that's what we're going to be unpacking today. This is your show. So if you have a comment or a question or just want to reach out to us in general, go to wisemoneyradio.com or you can give us a call 574-222-2000. You could submit questions, comments, both venues, we want to hear from you. So, okay, before we get too far, though, I've got a confession to make here. For the past month, I have introduced the show in every segment like I always do, telling you who's in the room in the studio with you. And it's, you know, Mike and Kevin and Josh. But the truth is, Josh hasn't been showing up. Only half of Josh has been coming for about <laughs> the last month. And oh, uh, today, goodness. so I'm going to embarrass Josh a little bit. Today's your birthday, yeah. and which is a little strange because Josh hates to work on his birthday, usually doesn't. His birthday, his wife's birthday, his neighbor's birthday, anyone's birthday. My he doesn't birthday. like to work. Um, but this I'm, doesn't count as work, though. But I'm, I also want to embarrass Josh a little bit because he had a very aggressive goal this year. And that goal, starting at the beginning of the year, was to lose 37 pounds by his 37th birthday. And my friend, congratulations, you've done it. Yeah, thank you and very much. You actually did it earlier in the month, but we yeah. wanted to tease you on your birthday. So great job. And tell thank us you. a little bit about that and why really you set out on this journey. <laughs> Well, I decided I wanted to be less fat, and uh, you... <laughs> you weren't fat to begin with. So, Kevin, the, the you, other day I was talking to Mike about this, and I, he, he said that I wasn't fat, but he said I was chubby. Was that the word you used? What did I say? I Porky? don't know. No, Porky. I didn't say that. <laughs> I think he had a slight paunch. Oh, nice. Which I think that's respectable. Yeah. I, I was lugging around some extra pounds, and Pudgy. they needed to go. Pudgy. Pudgy. Yeah, Basically a bag wow. of water softener salt. Yeah. Wh- whatever it was, I promise it didn't hurt my feelings one bit, Mike. Good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us no. a little bit about it. Well, you know, it, so, so every year, uh, th- there's usually one or two times throughout the year that I do a little introspection, you know, kind of take inventory of life. And I, I actually have this tool that I, I call a life balance wheel. And it, it's eight areas of my life that I just kind of self-score and evaluate. How, how am I doing in this area? And it's a scale of one to 10 in each one. And it's things like, you know, my marriage or family life and spiritual life, health, financial, uh, professional and personal development. And then uh, giving or, or kind of charity, that sort of thing. And um, I got to the end of the year and it was time to sort of do this reevaluation. And I realized I gave myself the lowest score I've ever given myself in the area of health. 
Wow. And I, I really, I would declare 2015 as the unhealthiest year of my life. If you look at weight gain and stress and just time in doctor's offices and everything. So I, I just said, you know, I, I have to make a lifestyle change and I'm into catchy goals, you know? So I thought, Hey, 37 pounds by my 37th birthday, let, let's do it. So yeah. I, I actually, I thought about changing the goal to be by my daughter's birthday. I, I wanted to lose a six-year-old by the time she turns six, but she doesn't weigh enough. So And, and just for the record, you're not going to be working on her birthday either, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, hey, they, congrats, they man. They both fall. Actually, hers is on a Friday. No, I won't be working so on Josh, her birthday. So, Josh, everyone wants to know, how did you lose 37 pounds in basically half a year? Yeah, well, one pound at a time, right? No, I I tried to make some pretty drastic changes, you know, cutting out pop and um, I decided, okay, I need to be working out every single day of the week. I don't work out on Sundays, but six days a week. And I, I figured out though, that the only foolproof way that I was losing weight consistently was just watching the calories, you know, watching the details. It, it's a math problem at the end of the day. Are you yeah. burning more calories than you're bringing in? But so. I also know, and this is where we're going to start segue to talk about finances and money, but I also know that you had a plan, yeah. you had a strategy that yeah. we had talked through a lot. As well, you had a coach, and maybe not always the best coach in really big goals, but your spouse. That's right. Uh, Andrea yeah. was really your coach. She, and, at least an accountability partner. Yeah. I mean, we, we'd get up and work out every morning, and she was very helpful because, you know, calculating how many calories you're consuming is pretty hard, and she makes most of the meals, and she would do the extra work to figure out, hey, here's how much is in a helping, and it was crazy helpful. Yeah. So. So this is wise money. So while that is great stuff and inspiring to me, uh, let's let's turn this to talk about finances. Yeah. We get this question a lot, and today we're going to be covering this question from Anne. She's 34. This is a very common question, and I'm sure you've thought this once or twice. But here's what she said: Recently, my husband and I just paid off my student loans, and now have some freed up money each month. What should we be doing to get on track financially? I feel like we need to be setting some money aside for the future, but where and for what? We have two kids, ages nine and six. This is the first time it's felt like we've had any extra money, and I feel like we just need to get started, but what should we be focusing on? I look at that and say, that's, she's asking, what should my financial goals be? What should my targets be? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question, Anne, and I would prepare you that the, it, you may have found it easy to make that payment for the student loan every month, and very quickly, that money can dissipate and go to various things if it's not captured. And people that are good at their f- managing their financial life, I don't know what your experience is, but to me, they make it look easy. They never seem stressed out. It never seems like a struggle. But what I would encourage you to do, Anne, is to prepare yourself kind of mentally and emotionally that you are in a battle and there are certain skills that you need to bring to this battle in order to win it. And they're just, just some baseline skills. Um, one thing for sure that you want to do is have, have great clarity about what your goals are and how do you set goals. Well, and we're going to be unpacking that here today. But the first thing I would say is make sure you write down those goals. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a couple stats here. 25% of people abandon their New Year's resolution after one week. Wow. So way to go, Josh. 60% of people abandon them within six months. And only 5% of those who lose weight um, keep it off. 
But the statistics here... Was that a warning for me? No, I just slipped that one in there. <laughs> um, you are 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down. Just that simple step of making it clear, committing it to writing, you're 42% more likely to achieve that goal. You know, one of the reasons why, maybe, I, I've kind of observed over the years that if there was a common trait amongst all couples who struggle with money as a topic of conflict, you know, they argue about money all the time, is they never seem to be on the same page financially with their goals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it could be that they just never talked about it or they never agreed. Very rarely is that one spouse is kind of um, rebelling and kind of pursuing their own thing. That's That's usually a sign of something much deeper going on. Yeah. But... Um, this idea of having a conversation, boiling your goals down to the point where you are willing to both put it in writing and say, hey, this is our list. This is what we're going to go pursue. It takes a lot of the uncertainty uh, out of the equation. Yeah. Right? And you both have had input, right? You've both communicated, hey, these are until you get specific, right? What's that acronym for for goals? They need to be smart. Yep. Smart goals, right? yeah. Okay. Specific measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. That's right. I'm and, impressed and that you just pulled that off. They absolutely, that absolutely applies Smart. to your finance. <laughs> <laughs> that absolutely applies to your finances. Yeah, I think the lazy way to approach it is just to not get that specific, not get that detailed. Yeah, and, and so the simple steps of uh, goal achievement are to have a goal, yep. have a plan, work the plan, control direction, and throw off discouragement. Yep. And nice. it's in, and just keep right on going through that process. Now, the interesting thing about your question, Ann, is you said, hey, we we just paid off our student loans and we're wondering, um, you know, we have these young kids. So immediately my mind goes to, well, start saving for them so they will have fewer student loans. But the reality is you want to look at this in the context of your entire financial plan, because if you have some high interest rate consumer debt out there or some other things that, that need to get cleaned up, you might want to look at those things. We're actually going to take your question, Ann, and we're going to break it down into what are the most common financial goals? Everyone's financial goals are unique to them, but there are five categories or a few categories that are pretty pervasive. And we're going to talk about what those categories are and what your goal should be and how you should define and take your first steps on that goal. So we're going to be coming up and tackling that here as well as more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I'm Mike. I've got Josh and Kevin, or half of Josh, with us. Uh, <laughs> Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn in the studio with me. Special thanks to Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content today. Thanks for your partnership. Today, we're talking about financial goals for the most part. Anne launched into a question about, hey, I finally got a little bit of breathing room in my financial life. We're just getting started. What should we be doing? And we spent uh, the first 10 minutes or so talking about Josh's big goal and big goal achievement. And we're going to start turning the table to talking about the common financial goals that people have and really how you get started to achieving those. Yeah, that's right. And, and we're not saying that these goals are universal, but we've seen them eventually become really important to most people that we work with. 
And uh, so if, if you're lacking inspiration or vision for what you should be working for in, in your own financial life, then uh, hopefully we'll be able to suggest some goals that you should be considering to, uh, to become a priority. And the first one I think that I would throw out there is just getting out of debt. Yeah, that's a pretty common goal, right? Most people have a goal of, yeah, I want to be debt-free at some point. And, and for some people, that's just mortgage debt. But I think a lot of people look and say, the get out of debt charge is to pay off credit cards, student loans, maybe auto loan. And so you first, if you're pursuing this, if that's a goal of yours, you first need to define what debt are you talking about. That's right. And most people, it's what we call consumer debt. I, I would break, yeah, break it down into consumer debt versus maybe investment-related debt. Yeah. And uh, a, an investment-related debt would be either uh, loans that you have in your business, maybe on your house. Some people might consider a student loan an investment for the future, but everything else usually falls in consumer. That's the credit cards and the car loans and things like that. So let's talk about some of the best practices. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you know what? I, I have wanted to get out of debt for a long time. What are some of the best practices? I, I would say the first one is to be aggressive and push yourself. Any financial coach or really any coach at all is going to try and push you to your limit and make sure that you're striving and really reaching for something aggressively. I'm remembering, Josh, your story that you've told about when you graduated from college and started at KFG and said, okay, Kevin, here's my plan to pay off the student lo my student loans in 36 months. And Kevin, without even analyzing your situation, just said, do it in 18 months. That's right. Just kind of issued the challenge exactly. and uh, made it a stretch goal, right? Yep. The other, oh, go ahead, Kevin. Well, no, I, I'm just, you know, we're, we talked a little bit about Joshua's weight loss and how he's lost 37 pounds, and Mike's saying that half of them is here. So uh, just for those of you who are doing math out there, Josh did not start at 74 pounds. Wait a second. <laughs> so, That's what you told me. <laughs> but, I, you know, you think about this and you think, well, what is it that, that um, had to change in Joshua's life for him to have weight loss? He had to change his habits. And his patterns, and he had to have a goal. It was a pretty aggressive goal. Thirty-seven pounds. There might be some doctors out there that say you shouldn't lose thirty-seven pounds in six months. Who knows? But he had some aggressive goals, and I think okay, you want to have, a, you want to set some fairly aggressive goals, but you want to be very aware of what your what your patterns of behavior are, because it, it, even with Josh, if Josh isn't aware of what changed in his life, and he doesn't keep that change in place it's very possible that he puts that 37 pounds right back on. Well, and that's the part of the story that Mike didn't share. You know, I've lost 40 pounds before. It was about 12 years ago when we were running marathons together. Mm -hmm. uh, 40 pounds is what I lost from start to the, the end of the last marathon, and I gained it all back. So this 37 pounds that you guys keep uh, hammering on here, I've lost it before. And right? you found it. That's right. But th th that's exactly why... It, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about debt elimination as a goal free, don't make that the goal. Make the goal not to just wipe out the debt, but to then live debt free. It's got to be a yep. lifestyle change, which I think is kind of the point that you're making. And yes. it's the warning that I really take to heart. How do I make sure that I don't have to someday lose this 37 pounds again? So what are the tools then to get there and to make that lifestyle change? I would mention two. Uh -huh. And the first one is a debt snowball. So if you're try, if you've got a couple, you know, pieces of debt, a debt snowball is that plan where you pay the minimum 
on several debts, but then you focus in and throw everything plus the kitchen sink on one until that one's paid off. And then you do the next one and the next one. So the debt snowball is that plan and strategy that keeps you accountable and shows you the direction. But then you've got to couple that with a budget and a budget to not live on debt again and to categorize all your spending and make sure you know your guardrails, your guidelines. So really, you're right. I mean, the debt snowball gives you that strategy to pay off the debt, and the budget helps make it permanent and a lifestyle change. Well, it's what adds the debt prevention piece, right? Exactly. You know, you start planning ahead for the lump sum, you know, big ticket items that tend to creep into your monthly spending and and often blow up the budget. If you're planning ahead for those types of things and you have a, a steady savings plan going, then the need to use debt starts to go away pretty quickly. The second main goal that people come into our office and we're talking about finances and they say, yeah, I've got this goal too. It's typically to build up cash or we would call it build up an emergency fund. And, and so, you know, I'm sure a lot of you listening have that goal and maybe have never been able to build up that that account. So let's talk about some of those best or practices. Or if you haven't had that goal, you should. This oh, is one that I, I try to propose to a lot of clients it, when I'm asking them, hey, let's hear your list of goals that you want to accomplish. If they don't mention this one, I mention it for them. I encourage them to have it. And this is more than just having kind of a rainy day fund for when the water heater goes out or something happens to your car or whatever. This is planning ahead a for a major risk Usually an interruption to your income is probably the, the granddaddy of all risks that could affect your cash flow and unravel your financial life. Yeah, I think the best place to get started is to consider how much will I need? Because I look at that and I say three to six months of expenses get you in the range of what you need. And you want to put this somewhere where you're not really seeing it. It's it's not easy to get your hands on it. So it's out of sight, out of mind. But what that does is it gives you the, the, some freedom. It gives you some walkaway power. It gives you, um, uh, it puts you in a position where you're, you're, you might be emotionally wrecked if you showed up today and they said, hey, we're, we're uh, closing up and moving the plant to Mexico or whatever they're doing. Um, but you wouldn't be financially wrecked. And that's the, that's the big idea behind having an emergency cash reserve. Yeah. So a couple of things that I'd point out, I've talked about these rules on the show before. And the first one is as far as figuring out how much you should have in your emergency fund, that's unique to you. But a good rule of thumb, or at least to get you started, is three to six months of your monthly expenses. That's first. And then second is, well, where should the account be? Kevin, you already mentioned it. It should be accessible, but kind of not part of your daily cash flow management. And yeah, that's one of the rules. It should be segregated. It should also be FDIC insured, and it should also be free. You shouldn't be paying money for this bank account. And I want to clarify one point, because you guys each uh, mentioned three to six months as a rule of thumb, but how do you decide, are you on the short end of that spectrum or the longer end? And usually we, we encourage people, if they have two sources of income coming into the family, then maybe they can get by with three months worth of living expenses. Because if you lose your job, maybe your spouse is still working. Um, but if you are a single income family, that's where we like to lean a little heavier and be a little bit more precautious and have something closer to six months worth of living expenses. And as you said, Mike, that's a different number for each person. So you need to convert that rule of thumb into a real dollar amount. And it, it may be 10, 15, 20 grand. It's a large dollar amount. And many people are cruising through life with a lot less savings on hand for emergencies than that. Yep. 
Yeah, statistically, people are uh, one or two weeks out from being completely flat broke, mm-hmm. and they and they're not. Uh, they haven't built this discipline into their life, and it is a discipline. It should be somewhat uncomfortable to get this going and to do it. And if you've got fifteen or twenty grand in your emergency cash reserve, it's tempting to say, "Okay, well, the car. Uh, you know, the, should we put more money into this car? Or should we buy another one? And should we use the cash in the emergency?" No, do not use the cash in the emergency cash reserve to buy the car. Set up a program to be buying the next car with cash. Okay, folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about financial goals today and, uh, and really what some of the most common financial goals are, dissecting them a little bit, giving you some tools and some first steps that you should be taking if you're trying to pursue that. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to cap it off with some of the most important and probably prevalent financial goals out there, and then we're going to wrap it all in with a question from a listener who went to wisemoneyradio.com. So we've got much more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike. I got Josh and Kevin in the studio. Special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money Show. We appreciate you. Appreciate you listening today. If you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com or give us a call, 574-222-2000. Justin went to wisemoneyradio.com a couple weeks ago. We're going to be taking his question here in just a little bit. Right now we're talking about financial goals, though, and we're about to hit the granddaddy of them all. I love saying that as somewhat of a Michigan fan here. Um, (laughs) But we're about to hit the granddaddy of them all. The The first two goals that most people are pursuing in their financial life are to get out of debt. We talked about that one as well as build up some cash. And if that's not on your radar screen, it should be. We talked about that. The third one, and this is the one that most people come in to see us to talk about, and that is, hey, someday I want to retire. And if someday you don't want to retire or you think your plan is to work forever, hey, financially, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to work forever. Then we're turning the table and talking about financial independence. So when are you working because you want to, not because you have to? That's right. You know, there, there's a whole group of our listeners who might not even see this as a priority. Yeah. You know, a lot of younger people, you talk to them about retirement and they don't have a vision for what it might look like yet. And it's just not that important. There's so many other goals of getting established in life, starting a family, paying off debt, that sort of thing. And so this one can get pushed to the back burner for a long, long time. And, and you're right, Mike, this is a goal that a lot of people come in to talk to us about but it's also the one that most people are regretful that they didn't get started early enough on. Oh, you got it. And, and that's one of the reasons why, even if you said that that goal, yeah, retirement, I'm sure I'll want to do that someday, but I just, I'm not that motivated to start saving or anything like that. I would encourage you to make it a priority at least enough to get started by calculating how much you need and then start some sort of a slow drip, a, a constant lifelong savings plan for retirement. Because even if it's not important to you today, I assure you someday it will be. And the, the statistics are that 50% of Americans haven't even calculated what the need is. Yeah. So how do they know that they're saving the right amount? They don't. Yeah. And I, I don't want our listeners to be part of that statistic. Yeah, and the difficult thing about doing it yourself 
is that you haven't likely haven't seen a number of different plans that have failed. So I would encourage you to make sure you're working with a planner. Of course, that would be a certified financial planner who's worked with hundreds and hundreds of people who have seen the plans where the, the client has said, hey, this is the plan, this is how we're going to do it, and everything's going to work, and the plan has failed. A part of financial planning is adjusting to when those plans fail, now what, and, and, and how do we respond, et cetera. So what, what do you see typically causing a plan to fail? You know, when, when you run into the, the horror story, the, the big regrets, that kind of thing, I mean, what, what should people be warned against? Well, see, the, so you ask, what do I, what do I see? It's the unforeseen. Mm. It's the unforeseen that causes the plan to fail. The plan is, I have two business partners, and we're going to work until this point, and then et cetera, et cetera. And one of my business partner's wife's wife dies, and he goes a little off the deep end. And so now mm. everything changed in the business, and we thought we could uh, operate this way, and now we can't. And now I have to make financial adjustments to make things work. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I've seen some plans fail is where people set um, unrealistic goals. I, I read recently that 67% of working Americans believe that they're going to work in retirement, and actually only 23% of Americans really do. And so if, if your plan is only going to work if you get a part-time job in retirement, and then that part-time job doesn't materialize, you don't have the energy for it or the health or it just you don't want to do it, then it, that could completely devastate your whole plan. Mm -hmm. You know, not having that extra 10 grand a year coming in uh, could make the difference between running out of money or not. Yeah, see, Kevin, I would have argued with you and, and said something similar to what Josh said, that I've seen more plans fail because people just weren't specific and realistic enough in their planning. And so I'd go back to, if, if you want to retire someday, I'd go back to that SMART acronym that Kevin started uh, sharing. And yeah, the first step should be building a plan and getting a coach, but baked into that first step should be getting very, very specific and realistic about your goal. Um, you know, a, so an example would be a flimsy goal would be, I wanna retire at 66. A somewhat more uh, specific goal would be, I wanna retire at 66 and spend 60 grand a year. But what I'm talking about is a very defined, well-defined financial goal here is I want to retire at 66, spend 60 grand a year. I expect that I'm going to live until 92. My inflation expectation is going to be around 3%, yada, yada, yada. There are so many pieces here. And the people that I see end up getting this planning wrong is they haven't thought through all of those pieces. That's right. And if you don't have all of those assumptions correct or, or realistic, then you may have set yourself up on the wrong glide path to land at retirement with less money than what you really need. You weren't saving enough all along because you miscalculated. And the truth is you need a financial planner to talk through all those details with you. Uh, not to foreshadow too much, but we're going we're gonna to be doing a show here in a couple of weeks. Casey Hendrickson is kind of our mentor in, in this show here. And what he does for his show is he's just trolling the news. And he's grabbing pieces out of the news. He's talking about them on his show. And so he's kind of encouraged me and us to do the same thing with finances. I thought he makes all that stuff up. Oh, okay. 60% of it. <laughs> uh, but, but I was reading the Wall Street Journal this weekend, and there was an article about 
how this person did an online retirement calculator. And the first one he felt pretty good because it said he's on path to retire and not spend through his money and have six million when he's done. And he was like, well, I should double check that. So he went to the next one and it said he was going to run, run out of money when he was 75 and he didn't change any of the variables. Wow. So, so guys, you need a financial planner to walk through all these details, but also model out the what ifs and those trade-offs. Doing, doing something online is, is not going to get you where you need to go. That's, that's good stuff. You know, one of the goals that my wife and I have started talking more and more about is planning for our kids' college education. And this often comes up with other, other clients. If you have kids and this is at all important to you, it's probably going to make the list or, or maybe it should be considered in some way. And even for me as a financial advisor, it's easy to push this, this whole issue off because you look at your kids and think, man, they barely know how to brush their own teeth. Why do I need to be thinking about college, right? But then I look at Kevin's kids, and I, I still think of them as preschoolers for some reason, and yet w when I talk to them, I'm looking them directly in the eye. They're, they're taller than I am. And it, it's crazy how quickly kids grow up and how quickly you can run out of time to get ready for this college goal. Yep. Yeah, uh, lots of folks, the, the moment the baby is born, they say, okay, what are our dreams for this child? And one of them for sure is we want to send them to college because that's the American dream. They can get educated, get some skills that they can trade for money and do better than the previous generation. And so most people are aware of it and most people don't prepare for it. Statistically, most people do not prepare for it. And the reason why, again, it gets back to habits. What, what do I do? How do I do it? What should my goal be? And so this is where goal setting and goal achievement is very, very, very important because you want to look and say, what are the costs? And there are some things that are possible today that weren't possible when my kids were born. The idea of online classes and all the, 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 the face of education is changing, um, the, the, whether they're going to continue to lend basically unlimited amounts towards degrees that can't really help you make any money. Uh, all these types of things uh, are affecting uh, how people plan and what they should be considering. Well, on the first start or first step in that whole planning process, in my opinion, it has to begin with a conversation between the two of you if, if you're married and are raising kids together still. Um, you know, you, you have to compare notes and, and priorities. What's your value? How much uh, do you think you need to be contributing to this particular goal for your, your kids? That was the question I posed to my wife just the other evening. How much do you think we should be involved? How, how much should they be on the hook for? How are we gonna How are we gonna plan for this? And um, each spouse comes with different experiences, different priorities. So the answer is gonna be different for every combination of husband and wife that's out there. Very good. In just a moment, we're gonna be wrapping this whole thing up about financial goals, and certainly will not be the last time we talk about financial goals. Gosh, one of the most important things to having financial success. So we're gonna put the wraps on that in just a minute, as well as answer Justin's question here coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel, your breaking news and weather station. 
Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. My name's Mike. I've got Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory with me in the MNC studio. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about setting and achieving financial goals. That's right. And, you know, before we leave that topic for today, I I wanted to throw out one or two more goals that we don't really have time to unpack or anything, but they need to be on your radar screen when you're considering the financial priorities that your family is going to be pursuing. And one of them, it's not a very fun uh, goal to be thinking through, but protecting your family in the event of some sort of a tragedy. And most people don't come in thinking that, but you need to. That's right. That's right. You know, it it basically involves making sure that you have the right insurance protection in place. Uh, You know, it gets into estate planning as well. Again, not real uplifting conversations, but if you think about what is it that could cause your family's finances to unravel and uh, lose the progress that you've been making towards those financial goals, um, it, it is one of these unforeseen events that Kevin was pointing out uh, when we were talking about retirement. But there's one other goal that I would propose, and, and I'm, I'm saying this wholeheartedly and very seriously, if you are not working with a financial coach of some sort, I want to encourage you to set that as a goal between now and the end of the year, to have that relationship in place before you start this next year, someone who can help you with all of your financial goals. And, you know, we're, we're big believers in that. It's something that's become more and more important in my own eyes. I, I was actually just having breakfast the other day with uh, another financial advisor from a different firm. And I was telling him, when I was younger and, and probably more arrogant, I guess, I used to think that my goal was to try to rescue clients from working with other financial advisors in different firms. You know, I I'd kind of villainized other advisors out there and None of them could possibly be as good as Corhorn Financial Group, right? And that's not, that's not my attitude anymore. I, I really genuinely believe that part of our role and part of the reason for this show is to try to influence more people to seek out a financial advisor for the very first time. Because we believe, again, wholeheartedly that you need a coach to help you do the things that you might not do on your own. And that, uh, that involves getting a financial advisor. And I, I hope that you will make that a priority between now and the end of the year. And this wasn't planned, folks, but this is really the perfect segue. Justin went to wisemoneyradio.com two weeks ago, submitted a great question. In fact, I've kind of leapfrogged some other questions that have come. Thank you for your patience and thanks for your questions. But uh, it was just a great question. We've answered it before. Other folks have chimed in with this question. But here's what he said. Justin says, what is the best way to choose an investment advisor? So if you're taking Josh up on his challenge, you've never worked with an advisor, Justin's asking, how should you choose? And also, what's the average cost of an advisor? Well, let's take the first one first here, Justin. You're asking about hiring an investment advisor, and it's really important to understand the difference between an investment advisor and a financial planner. And I'll just try and describe it real quick. So typically an investment advisor is someone who sells you investments. So when you're hiring this person, make sure you're asking the question, does this advisor have to make recommendations that are in your best interest? You'd assume the answer is yes, but that's not necessarily the case. Right. And, and that's why they talk about assumptions and what (laughs) happens with assumptions. So 
you would assume that they've got to make recommendations that are in your best interest, but that's not necessarily the case. The reality is most professionals who act as an investment advisor only, so all they do is sell investments, are not fiduciaries, which means if they Gesundheit. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're entering, you know, we're we're trying to enter a jargon-free zone here. So you failed. Yeah, I failed. <laughs> it, but when you think about a fiduciary, it's someone that has to do what's in your best interest. That's one that's one type of an investment advisor. Another type is one that's bound by a suitability standard. So if if you meet certain criteria and they have a product, they can sell it to you. And, and then so, it's buyer beware. So yep. you should have known better. If it, if it wasn't right for you, you should have known. But the financial advisor operating, in, or excuse me, the investment advisor operating in that scenario, really they, they don't have to suggest what's in your best interest. Right. And so the, so it's it's rife with all types of conflicts and everything else. And um, But I, Mike and I were meeting with some folks uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And they had a strong relationship. And so we're always curious to see, well, who is kind of the lead advisor in someone's financial life? And in their situation, their investment advisor took the lead in their financial life. And he he did a good job. He actually used fiduciary-type products, so he had to put stuff in their best interest. And he did things in their best interest. The only problem is... Because he didn't work with their CPA and the other professionals on their team, the 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 gal was so sweet, and she said, "Oh, uh, we started talking about Roth IRAs," and she said, "Oh, I thought I was too old to do a Roth IRA," and she's in her early fifties. Mm-hmm. And so you say, "Well, actually, you're not too old," and that's a huge opportunity, and you could easily fully fund one. You and your husband could both do that. So that not so would you say were those clients hurt? Well, the the opportunity cost hurt them. And then we got into their retirement plan, and they had the wrong type of retirement plan set up at work. And so you look at this and you say, "Well, what's the damage?" Well, the damage is the is really the things that they can't do, which will amount to tens of thousands of dollars of tax savings in their retirement that they won't get. Yeah. So what you're saying is if, if you're just looking, Justin, if you're just looking for an investment advisor, you'll, you're, you want to know whether that advisor is obligated to give advice that's in your best interest or not, because not all of them do. But then second, so you're, you're going to want someone who will give advice in your best interest. They're called a fiduciary, excuse me. Um, <laughs> but then from there, what Kevin's then explaining with that story is, in our opinion, an investment advisor isn't enough. A financial planner looks at the big picture and will tell you, hey, this is what you should do to benefit your entire financial life, not just what you should do with this one investment. Right, through a, a comprehensive approach. And we've been talking on this show for nearly a year now about the six areas of financial planning, and, and we try to hit that home. But this very question, this issue came up in an email from a client earlier uh, this week. And uh, it was a mom asking on behalf of her son. Her son's around my age and lives down uh, just outside Atlanta. And she said, you know, he's, he's got a great job. He's getting himself established and he's ready to start really planning for his future was the, the phrase that she used. And she was asking, how does he find a financial planner or an investment person that he can work with? How do you know who you can trust? 
do you know anybody down there? And I actually do. We have a friend of our firm who literally, he, he runs a, an investment shop down in this guy's own town, all right? And he's a guy that we absolutely trust and uh, respect. I love the guy to death. But I didn't refer this client's son to that particular guy because he wasn't the right fit for what really, in my opinion, this, uh, this son needs. This uh, advisor that's in that town, he has a high minimum. He, he focuses on really just doing investments for high net worth folks. He's got, yeah, I think you've got to have maybe a half a million bucks in order to even work with a guy. So it's, it's going to cost minimum $5,000 a year to work with him. Well, this guy is getting started, this son, right? He needs a comprehensive financial advisor, someone who can help him establish a list of goals that he's trying to pursue and set up a plan to actually go achieve those. Someone who can be his accountability partner or coach and, uh, and quite frankly, tell him uh, whether the, the 15 grand that he's got accumulated should be going towards some other goal besides an investment that, you know, we, we could put in place for you. Yeah. So you're going to want a financial planner as opposed to just an investment advisor. The financial planner will likely charge you hourly or some flat cost for the year. If they add an investment management service as well, there should be a fee for that. Hopefully not a commission or anything like that. But really for those two roles, there should be a cost, a flat hourly or annual fee for the planning as well as a flat fee cost for the investment oversight. Yeah, and, and I would tell you, Justin, you want to be really comfortable working with the person that you're working with and ask them, how do you get paid? Absolutely. I, I just need to understand how you, that is a very reasonable question. We are not, we're not going to see the, the, that's not the last we'll see of that question. So thanks, Justin. If you missed anything, want some more information on the show, or have a question yourself, go to wisemoneyradio.com. On behalf of Josh Hey, you're not going to end Evan. the show without singing happy birthday to me, are you? Absolutely. Guys, we're taking happy off. Birthday, Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with happy 401 Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.